when you hear the word religion, what comes to your mind? It, it's probably not good. You, you, maybe you think of ISIS, the Islamic uh, terrorist group, because they're doing what they do in the name of religion. Maybe you think of Westboro Baptist Church. Don't you like that? Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, their theme is God hates you and so do we. <laughs> you know, they're the, if you don't know who they are, they're the, uh, the hate church. They're the church that goes around telling everybody that God hates them and they show up at military funerals to protest. But really and truly, the word religion, biblically, is a good word. If you're taking notes, you can write James. We're going to be in Luke 10, but James 1. In James 1, the word religion is used in the New Testament. And, and the word religion in the New Testament there literally means it's, a, it's an outward devotion. Uh, it's an outward visual uh, living out of what's going on on the inside. Godliness is what's on the inside, and religion is supposed to be the expression of godliness. And this morning, in Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at real Jesus religion. We're in a sermon series for times like these, and we're trying to look at how does the world, how do we as Christians, how do we as a church live effectively and as God would have us to live in the world today. And how, how, if you're not a Christian, how is Jesus and how is the church to be? And I think you will like these things. I had some study help this week from Andrea Phillips. Uh, I have a study team and she was the person who helped me this week. And so uh, if you don't like anything on the sermon, call Greg uh, Phillips State Farm Insurance tomorrow with all of your complaints. Amen. But let's begin with this. Real Jesus religion is what our world needs. Here's what the world needs. The world doesn't need more religion. It needs real Jesus religion is what the world needs. It needs an experience with the way Jesus Christ not is perceived to be, but as he really is. I want to give you from Luke 10, I want to give you first, I want to give you two, I won't say negatives, but two don'ts. Uh, and then I want us to look at the, the one thing that we are absolutely to do. These aren't exhaustive, but they're seen in this text, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and real Jesus religion, number one, it's not primarily an intellectual pursuit. Now, 2,000 years ago, they needed to hear this. And today, oh boy, do we need to hear this too. Real Jesus religion certainly includes the intellect, but it's not primarily an intellectual religion. In verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking a faulty question. You don't do anything. You receive Christ, faith in God in the Old Testament. It says an expert in the law. Now, he's called a lawyer in some translations. This is not a civil lawyer. This is a Bible lawyer. This is a, uh, a guy who's very versed in Old Testament Judaism. He's versed in the Old Testament scriptures. He is a scholar. And it says he asked Jesus a question to test him. He's playing intellectual games with Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to make Jesus look dumb. A whole lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees you see in the New Testament that were Jesus' thorn in the flesh, a lot of their idea of religion was it's an intellectual pursuit in an intellectual game. So Jesus answers him in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, what do you think 
is the most important thing. And in verse 27 and 28, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus told him, hey, buddy, you answered correctly. If you can go and do this perfectly, you can have life, which no one can do it perfectly. That's why we have to have the cross and faith in Christ. Now, it's interesting in Jesus' day, and even in modern days, the scriptures quoted were, were the, the, the foundations of Judaism, and they're the foundations of Christianity. If you're taking notes, again, Deuteronomy 6, 8, it says to bind the law on your hand and on your forehead. They took this literal, and they still, Orthodox Jews, many of them still do today. Let me give you a picture of this. This is a modern Jewish guy. You see this? This, it's not a tattoo there, this leather contraption, there's a little box right there. On his head, it looks like a sweatband, that's not a coal miner's light. That is literally called a phylactery. And, and, and these, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, and still again, Orthodox Jews, a lot of them today, we saw those in, in Israel today, those hold scriptures. More, more than likely, it, it, it had Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Uh, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then it probably had Leviticus nineteen eighteen, which said, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a highly religious guy, and he's got these scriptures probably, again, like I said, on his arms and on his head. And he is, uh, he's encountering Jesus. But I want to tell you, in reality, this guy wasn't wanting to know what he needed to do. He, he wasn't wanting to know how he could be a good neighbor or how he could live out the faith. This guy was in an intellectual disagreement or argument with Jesus Christ. Now, before I say anything else, I want to tell you, I went to college for four years. And after college, I went for seven and a half years after that to academic graduate school for preachers. I am not against intellectual pursuit. But let me tell you. 2,000 years ago and today, a lot of people have made Christianity an intellectual game. It's about what we know. It's about information we can gather. We have thousands of study Bibles, and you can access 100 videos. You could go home today on YouTube and watch 500 preachers, and I am absolutely for most of that. But I want to tell you, the foundation of real religion is, is not simply the intellect. It's not purely academic. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard this from a woman or from a man, my husband goes to a prayer group and he still comes home and he's a jerk. My, my wife has Beth Moore memorized and she's still mean. There's a miss there, amen? If you don't leave Better than you came in, something's wrong with the teaching or something's wrong with the receiver. Jesus never gave information so you and I could walk away going, I know more than they know. Jesus gave us information to change our life so we could go out and change the world. Friend, your husband, your wife... Your children, your friends, they don't need you to have necessarily a Ph.D. in New Testament. They need you to live out the New Testament that you know. They need you to practice what you preach. Verse 29, it says, he wanted to justify himself. He studied the Bible. He wanted to debate with Jesus to show that he was right. 
Don't use the Bible. Don't use this sermon, if you can use it for anything, to try to prove that you're right. It's not about winning arguments. It's about winning people. I said this last week. Many of you have heard it hundreds of times, but it's still so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You pursue knowledge. You read your Bible. You wear the pages of it out. But your primary goal is so you can have wisdom to live your life out and love to live it out with others better. Real Jesus religion is not first and foremost an intellectual pursuit. Here's the second thing. If that didn't make you mad, this might. Real religious, real religion is not racist or prejudiced. It's not racist or prejudiced. Jesus tells a story in verse 30 through 33. It starts at, The guy said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? To a Jewish person, the neighbor was people you liked. It was fellow Jews. It certainly wasn't non-Jews. It wasn't these ugly Samaritans we're going to see. It was uh, fellow Jews and probably even narrowed down to Jewish people you liked. Who is my neighbor? Jesus said a man was going down from Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, we're going to go through all the details in a moment. When he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, it's easy for you and I, if we, don't, we didn't listen well in Sunday school, to get what Jesus is saying here. Jewish people hated Samaritans. It is a hatred that went back 400 years, a lot longer than America has been a country. Why did they hate them? It's complicated. I'll try to tell you real briefly. The Samaritans, it, it, four or 500 years ago, had been Jewish people. They were deported by conquering countries. And in this, they intermarried with people that were not Jewish people. Now listen, even today, for an Orthodox Jewish person to marry someone who is not Jewish is a big no-no. So the Samaritan people had intermarried, and all, you know, they're obviously having kids who are not full Jewish people. So they considered them half-breeds. They hated that. The Samaritans said, whoa, 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 we have the claims on God just like you do. Remember, the Jews thought they, this time, had an exclusive hold on God. The Samaritans said, no, we do too. We got the first five books of the Bible just like you do. The Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, so the Samaritans went to a mountain in their country, and they set up, this is where we worship God. And the Samaritans, I'm sure, hated the Jews, but the Jews hated them. They considered them half-breeds. They considered them traitors. Listen, they were religious, racial, national, spiritual enemies of 400 years. And here's Jesus. Jesus comes in and Jesus makes the people they absolutely despise the hero of the story. How many of you love Jesus? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Jesus says, okay, big boys, you want to be racist? You want to be prejudiced? By the way, you're a... You're a uh, Pharisee. You're a 
smarter than everyone else too. Guess what? Jesus loves these other people absolutely as much as he does us. It's easy to be prejudiced, isn't it? It's easy to put a label on somebody. When you put a label on somebody, you dehumanize them. And when you dehumanize somebody, it's easy to hate them. In World War II, the Germans looked at the Jewish people as rats. And if you're just killing a rat, you're doing the world a favor. When, when Japan began to invade China, and when Japan began to capture American soldiers in World War II, one of the things they looked at people who were not Japanese as not being human. In Rwanda in 1994, when there was horrible genocide, mass, mass, mass killings, they said the Rwandans looked at their enemies as cockroaches. Friend, I want to tell you, I know it's not always what, at least years ago, people didn't want to hear. But it's always been the truth. In Jesus' religion, racism and prejudice have no place. Listen, racism is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Racism is not a skin. It's a heart. It's a sin. If you as a Christian are going to profess Jesus... Leave here and do not show racism or prejudice towards other people. If we as a church are going to be the church of Christ and make a difference in our world, we have to be a church for all people. The real religion of Jesus Christ was not a white religion, a black religion, an Asian religion, a Hispanic religion. It was a God religion. I got to tell you a funny story because y'all are kind of tense right now. There was an African-American man and a white man who were best friends for years. They were both strong Christians, but they argued about what color God was. The African-American man said he's black. The white man said he's white. Their whole life, from the time they were 20, 30, 40, 50, 70, they're in the nursing home at 90. He's black, he's white, he's black, he's white. They're best friends, though. They die within minutes of each other. They're at the pearly gates, black, white, black, white, black, white. So Peter comes to the pearly gates. He walks them in. He goes, um, you're fixing to meet God. They're still arguing, black, white, black, white. And God says, buenos dios, senores. <laughs> Amen. God may speak pig, pig Latin. Who knows? Real religion is not prejudice or racist. Now, here's the positive spin on it. Real Jesus' religion is about living a life of active compassion to everyone. These aren't the only things, but these certainly are things. And certainly things seen in this story. It's about active compassion to everyone. The Jewish person would not have thought about showing compassion to a Samaritan. And probably most Samaritans would not have thought about showing compassion to a Jewish person in verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. I want to show you on a map. This is an interesting little tidbit because Jericho is actually north of Jerusalem. So you might say the Bible got this wrong because you're not going down. You're not going, that's north to south. Actually, Jerusalem 
is north to south. When you think about this, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. 17 to 20 miles later, Jericho is 900 feet below sea level. You have a 3,500 feet drop just like that. Isn't that incredible? So they wore, when you left Jerusalem, Jerusalem's high. So when you even going north, you were going down as far as you're, you're talking about up to down. Okay, so that, that's what that's talking about. The Jericho Road, okay, this 17 mile strip here. I'm going to go back to this just a second. This would have been a road that these people would have traveled a whole lot. Something they're very familiar with. Very dangerous road. Obviously, you got a huge drop. And you can see this is obviously a modern, more modern version of it. But you're going down. You've got these curves. And, and they said it was just great places for criminals to hide, to jump you, and to ambush you. So it was a very dangerous road. Everybody in, uh, in, in listening to Jesus would have known this. It says they beat him and stole his clothes. Why did they steal his clothes? Well, clothes were very valuable back then. Probably today, if you go home, I think in Ruston, they did a survey. And the average teenage girl and woman in Ruston has 71 pairs of shoes. Uh, that's an exaggeration, I'm sure, but at least more than two. Back then, clothes were very valuable. So to steal someone's clothes was to steal something that they didn't have a whole lot of. So they stole his clothes. And since they basically beat him half to death, okay? Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Who are the priests? The priests are the guys that are in the bloodline of Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron. These are the guys that were in charge of the sacrifices at the temple. These are very elite, religious, probably aristocratic people who had a lot of power, a lot of influence. Uh, to, they, they taught the things of God. And it says he, he, he sees the man laying there half dead, if not completely naked, almost naked, He looks at him, and he walks right past him. The next verse, verse 32, it says, A Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. A Levite was an assistant to the priest. Why did they do this? Number one, they were creeps. Number two, the ceremonial laws said that if they touched a dead body, and obviously I guess they didn't know if he was dead, they would be unclean for several days. And there were certain religious things they couldn't do, and they couldn't have performed some of the things they did in the temple. Now, it's interesting. It said the priest was going down from Jerusalem, which means he was going away from the temple, may have lived in Jericho, so it wasn't going to matter if he was unclean for a few days. He wasn't going near the temple. And, and folks, God never held the ceremonial laws in the same status of the moral and ethical laws of loving your brother and your sister. If you're ceremonially unclean for a few days because you helped someone dying, be ceremonially unclean for a few days. Jesus was in no way saying they did what was right. In fact, he was showing how wrong they were. The most religious people of the group see somebody in tremendous need, they look at him, and they walk right past him. And then enters the hero, verse 33. But a Samaritan, this had to really, ugh, this had to really get him. As he traveled, came where the man was, when he saw him, he took pity. Pity, that means literally from his belly, he hurt for him. I mean, it's like he had compassion. It's like he was moved in his stomach. Now, I'm going to pause right there for just a second. You see, 
Some of you haven't felt compassion in a long time and you need to get saved or you need to get right with God because that is a, a normal emotion of someone who loves Jesus. Others of us, we feel compassion and conviction. We just don't act on it. We leave here today and we go, man, I'm glad that's over. Or we leave here today and we go, you know what, man, we need to be more compassionate. I felt convicted. But we're able to fight through the conviction and fight through the compassion and not let, us, let it affect us. Look what this guy did in verse 34. He went to and he bandaged his wounds. It, it literally means he bound down his wounds. We would say to bind up, but he, he literally was stopping the bleeding. He poured oil and wine, which were used for medicinal purpose, cleaned it, disinfected it. He put the man on his donkey. I said in the first service, I would have put the man on Cindy's donkey and let her walk as I rode with the man on into Jericho. I'm just teasing. His wife wasn't with him. So, y'all didn't think it was funny then? They did in the first service, and y'all didn't either. I don't know why I tried that again. (laughs) And he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. Verse 35. The next day, he took out two silver coins. The silver coins worth about a day's wage. And he gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. He had compassion, but his compassion moved him to do everything that was needed to help the guy. Verse 36 and verse 37. It says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Verse 37. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He might not even been allowed in his own mind to say the Samaritan had mercy on him. Jesus said, you need to go, big boy, and you need to do exactly like this guy did. Wow. That's real Jesus religion. That's real Jesus religion. And you know what's lacking in our world today, and I'm afraid in a lot of our churches and our Christian is compassion. A compassionate heart. One that's willing to get involved. The New York Times had an article several years ago about a a young man named Abraham Biggs. Abraham Biggs was a member of some group on the website. A lot of people interacted regularly, and he told them one day that he he was suicidal. Nobody said anything. Told him the next day I'm suicidal. Nobody said anything. Three days I'm suicidal. Nobody said anything. The fourth day he got online. He said, I just took a bunch of pills. He put his face where people could see him on their computers. And he said, nobody cares. You can watch me die. 100 people watched him die. When the FBI got involved, they saw that some people even typed LOL. Look at this guy. Wow, what a loser. Watched him die. A psychologist a few years ago said that Americans are suffering from EDD, empathy deficit disorder. We got ADD, AED, HDDDDDDDDD, and we also have a problem. We just don't, we're not very sympathetic and empathetic. Let me tell you, when Jesus gets your, gets your heart, he gets your heart. And when Jesus gets your heart, he gets your hands. He gets your pocketbook, and he gets you to a place where you want to help people. Let me give you some thoughts from this. When the good Samaritan walked up to this guy, the first thing he didn't say is, okay, you idiot, what did you do to get in this position? That's us, isn't it? Well, if they hadn't have been so dumb, they hadn't have been drunk, 
They hadn't been hanging around those bad people. Listen, there's a time and a place to figure out the why, but when someone is sitting on the side of the road, just jump in there and help them. Figure out the why later. This cost this guy time, money, and effort, and inconvenience. You see, I'm afraid today if some of us saw somebody in the parking lot at 12.05 and it's raining that needed help, we would, we would honk and say, I'm praying for you. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if we're the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to be willing to get involved with people. We've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. Compassion doesn't happen. You you can't write on your schedule, I will be compassionate tomorrow from 2 to (laughs) 3. Because compassion happens at 11.30 at night or at 4 in the morning. Or on the highway when it's raining, when someone's broken down. Compassion says you are willing to not only give of your money, but of your time and your effort and your love. You're willing to get dirty. You're willing to be inconvenienced. And don't say this isn't my gift. This is compassion. This is the heart and gift of every Christian. Take somebody to lunch. Well, I can't afford it. Tell them up front, I can't afford it, but you can come and we will split a Coke together. We'll go to El Toro's and we'll just get chips and water. Go for it. Give somebody a hug. If they look at you and growl, just pat them on the back. Smile at people. Love people. If we can't do this, we are not Christian. And when we do this, we are really lifting up Jesus. Christianity Today magazine had a story several years ago about an American church that went to a large city in Brazil to to do a mission project. The church they were working with had been in this terrible part of town for about two decades. And the first day before they went out, they gave all the Americans shirts with the name of the church on it. And so this American says he's walking down the street in this strange town, and he literally sees drug dealers out in front of a drug house with automatic weapons. You don't see that in America, at least not I haven't. That's how wild this place was. And he says as they got closer to him, he could tell the guys were getting more intense. Their hands were on the weapons. And then they saw his T-shirt. It was the name of the church on there. And the drug dealer burst out in a big smile and he says, Evangelicals, evangelicals. He puts his gun down. He goes and hugs this terrified American Christian. (laughs) The other drug dealers come up and they hug these people, and they talk to them, and they interact with them, and they go back to the church shaken. <laughs> and they ask the pastor, what in the world is going on? So we've been here 20 years now. We don't approve of what they do, but we love them. We've done their funerals when they've been killed. We've buried their parents. We go see them in prison. We've led their children to Jesus. We feed their kids and their elderly parents. When they have a need, they know we're here for them. And when they see our church, they love us because they know we love them. I don't know about you, but I'd sure like that to be this church.
I don't know about you, I'd sure like that to be me. And I sure think that's who Jesus Christ is. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I hope God's pulling on your heart, got your attention, moving you to make some decisions. If you're not a Christian and you're ready to cross that line with Jesus, you're ready to, would you pray with me if you're ready and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sin. Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a second. And when we do, maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come this morning? Let one of our ministers help you with that. Maybe you're here today and you would like to join our church. We would love for you to. And one way you can do that, when we stand, slip out and come. That's who we want to be. If that's who you want to be a part of. Come and join us today. Christian, some of you are doing great with this. You keep it up. Some of us need to do a lot better. We need to repent in some of these areas where we're off with Jesus. Ask God to work in your heart today and to change you today. Let's stand. You respond now as Jesus leads you.